ladies who serve in that ministry. And Sue Ellen, thank you for keeping us in touch and informed so that the prayers and the, the gifts and the support from many of you that may not be there at the site, but you're there in your hearts, uh, have made such an impact. Uh, Mia, thank you for being here with us today and, and letting us see the story of God in the story in your family. So I know that that's a, it's a unique season and a unique challenge to walk through without question. Um, God goes on display in our lives in the most unusual of places. It's, uh, it's not always a script that we would write, but it's the script that God chooses. And so somehow knowing that there hasn't been a day in your life that God wasn't watching over every aspect of it. Sometimes it looks like God dropped something just now. God wasn't paying attention just now. That's just not the case. He uses these events in amazing ways. And thank you for letting us see how God was active in your family. Uh, and thank you for letting us pray for you in the future as well, because I know there's, there's days ahead that will be a challenge to you and your family. Well, this morning I want to continue uh, kind of a two-part introduction. That sounds like it's a, it's a joke, but it's a title actually. What has three legs and six feet? Uh, last week we talked about an aspect of what those three legs meant but what has three legs and six feet for us is the next season of life for us together as a church where there are principles that God has called us to, to place our lives on, these three legs. And then as we're going to see today, there are six feet attached to three individuals who God is using to lead in the coming season and we want to put you in touch with those three men. I want to both preach today to us as a church, but to those three men in particular, as God places a mantle of responsibility upon their lives to lead in the future. And I'm, I'm speaking specifically not, not to the neglect of other leaders, but just because of the transition where we are as a church of uh, Jeff, who I'm hoping will be back. Is Jeff coming back? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, who will be leading our efforts in church planting here beginning in 2013 and actually already beginning. Uh, Jason, who is leading our young people's ministry. We call it the Pivot, but it's, it's Pivot Singles as well as young married couples. And Evan, who Evan moves around on me, so I don't know where to find Evan sometimes. Um, Evan, who will be leading our efforts with youth ministry in the days ahead. All right, I need to grab somebody who's available here. I don't see Pete. What is everybody on vacation today? It's a hurricane. What are you watching the news? Um, I, would you mind going and finding Evan and making sure he's in here regardless of whatever the responsibilities he had and Jeff. Uh, Jeff's probably trying to find some clothes to wear. There he is. Jeff packed and moved to the North Shore and packed everything he owned. And I think he's been wearing that same outfit for days, right? Yeah. So if he smells a little awkward there, guys, that's why. Thanks for putting up with the odor over there. All right, well, last week we heard something that's rather significant about the church. And I can't separate the church from who you are individually sitting in every chair here this morning. All right, if I were to ask 
the question, are you looking for something significant to do with your life? Undoubtedly, everybody's looking for that. There's not a person in the room. We have different paths we're going to run down, different ways that we're going to use our abilities, different things that we were told when we were little that we did this really good or you're really good at that or you should try this. And so ever since then, we've been trying to figure out what can I do that's really significant in my life. But you might find some uniqueness that's associated with you. You run faster, think quicker, do something unique. Thank you. Um, But ultimately, there's something else about your life that's not just about your individuality. It's about who God has made you that's going to give your life its ultimate significance. Because, you know, whether you're an an Olympic Olympic athlete setting a record that's one day going to be broken and everybody's going to forget who you were anyway, or you're somebody who starts some incredible company and, and creates some unique product that, you know, 100 years from now nobody needs. There are some eternal things, though, that what you do with your life is going to matter forever. And that's how God has designed you to be a part of what he calls the church. Not because the church as an entity or a local establishment of Lakeview Christian Center is some unique thing. Because God is doing something unique. In a little portal of time, God's doing something unique. And his means of getting any of us to be significantly involved has to do with his church. So I think I put this out, this passage in your outline. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So something very significant has happened that God has done. And then he's given this, he's franchised this important activity to us. There's an us in this passage. It's the church that's being referred to here. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Right? We're, I mean, all of us, we're looking for something significant to do in our lives. And if you were into politics and you were appointed to be the ambassador for the United States to such and such, this unique job description to represent this country in a foreign land, and, and politics was your thing, you'd, th- you'd, you'd love that idea. It would be a, a great career move for you to be an ambassador for the United States to such and such. But you and I live in a land in which God has made you and me ambassadors for him and for the kingdom of God in this fallen world. So, you know, regardless of whether you ever figure out what classes to take and what career to pursue and where to live and what business to, to, to accomplish something with your life, you, you've already been called into something by God to be an ambassador for the kingdom of God in this fallen world. You already have that in your life. That's already the most significant 
declaration that's going to be made through your life. And it's going to be made through a variety of roles. It's going to be made by some of you as you go back to high school this year, college this year, and you get around people and you're an ambassador, you represent Christ into that setting. It's going to be made by some moms here who are relating to their children and investing in their children and praying for and caring for a generation of children and their friends who gather in your home on a regular basis and you are, you're an ambassador into their lives. Or the, the businessman who owns a business and has got employees and he relates to them and he treats them a certain way. You're an ambassador for Christ. That's, that's significant. Now this ambassadorship, this representing of the ministry of reconciliation into the world. We said last week, if you open the pages of the Bible, there's an emphasis in Scripture. And, I, and, I can, and I'm boiling that emphasis down to an understanding of God, the gospel, and going. I believe you find that in every instance of Scripture. Scripture is trying to show us those things. When we were reconciled, we were reconciled to God. The, the destination of your life was to go back to the creator who made you. To be restored to him, to experience fellowship with him, to have his life emanating in your life. And whatever broke that in the past, to have that overcome by the gospel. That restores us to God. God is revealed in the gospel and it is God's means of restoring us to himself. Now it's not enough though as a Christian in this time frame. Now there will be a place around the throne of God where we won't have the go thing happening anymore. But right now, in this world, every day that you awaken, God, the gospel, and going all connect. Every day of our lives, we're ambassadors going somewhere on a mission. That defines who we are. That should be the heartbeat of every Christian in this room this morning. You should not possibly be living a life that's not going with the gospel to proclaim the glory of God. That's why you and I exist. Now, this morning, there is this activity where God now begins to mobilize his people. Going matters to God. And if you were to just pick up the Old Testament and you just began to read and tried to stay away from the idea, oh, just a bunch of, bunch of weird stories about some people. You know, got guys like Abraham and Moses. You just got stories and there's moral to these stories, etc. Now, you, you miss the point when you open the Old Testament and just come up with, individual stories that you and I try to draw moral from. God's doing something in the Old Testament. He's revealing himself. The gospel is going on display and being communicated. And going is what these people are about. God chose a nation for himself. He, cho- he looks down, if you could get a map of all the world, and you have God looking at this map of all the nations, all the individual people making up nations, And God recognizes, here's a fallen condition, and into this fallen condition, I'm going to take action. And God doesn't choose to write in the sky. There's no lettering going up on a daily basis. People just connect with sky writing where God writes out, sends texts to humanity. Maybe there probably wasn't text back then. If there had been, this would have been different. But there's texting going on. God's communicating something to humanity. God could have done that, and he didn't. God could have chosen to take the remaining angels who did not fall and and deploy them as, as messengers upon the earth who would run around to all the nations and make known God's purpose to redeem them and bring them back to himself. But he didn't do that either. 
God looks at all these nations and he chooses one, the least of all the nations. This little nation that was a nobody nation, they didn't have special in with God, called Israel. And that he would uniquely do something through them to spread like, like a healthy cell into a cancerous world. To spread redemption into the world. That's how God did that. He chose, his idea, choose a nation, through that nation I will proclaim my glory to the nations. And that's what the Bible says why Israel exists. And then uniquely God chooses to lead that nation into mobilizing. It's just not a scattered bunch of people. They all belong to God. Within that nation, there are leaders that God has established in that nation. Sometimes they weren't always the quickest to volunteer. You know, Moses wasn't, hey, I'm ready to go. Remember, Moses was God's man. God chases him down. God has to sort of get him on board with the plan and establish him as a leader. Now, couldn't God have led these people without Moses, without Joshua, without any prophets, without any kings? Couldn't God have led these people without them? I mean, remember, God can write in the sky and he can use angels. He's got other means available to him. But he doesn't. He mobilizes a people using leaders. And, you know, whenever you see leaders, whether you're, whether you're watching a football game, uh, whether you're reading history about a war that took place, leaders have something in common in every one of those settings. I, th- I think leaders bring unity and they bring clarity into settings. Because you've got a bunch of people and a bunch of things that could be going on. You have a nation of Israel. There's a lot of things they could be doing, but leaders bring unity and clarity. There's a lot of enemies that were all around the nation of Israel that that sought to attack and come against them. And you just turn people loose, you could have a few going over here, a few going over here, a few going over here, just dispersing them. But, But leaders bring them together and say, okay, the army is going in that direction to take on that person and then that person. And there's unity and clarity about the mission. So God is a purpose, but then God chooses to have leaders to mobilize and unify that purpose. All right, does that, I'm giving you a quick, quick taste of the Old Testament there. Does that make sense, though? You see where God chose to do something, but he chose to do it through a people and then through leaders amongst those people. Well, that pattern doesn't go away when we get to the New Testament. Right? You can start turning to Ephesians chapter 4. Because at some point, God puts feet on leadership. That's why we're highlighting six feet here. And when when God did all that, for all those years in the Old Testament, we come into the New Testament, God's not abandoning. That's an illustration to understand what we're about in the New Testament. That's why that verse I keep repeating to us, because it grabs all that Old Testament imagery. You are a chosen generation, right? A, A chosen people. A royal priesthood. Right? Remember, the only people on planet earth that had a priestly access to God was the nation of Israel in which God installed priests. No other nation had that. And you now are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a nation among nations, a people for God's own possession, called out of darkness and into his light for a reason, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him. That your life might become a living demonstration of a living God who is a particular way, who has a particular message, and because he is the way he is, you need to hear how to respond to him. 
And therefore, the gospel comes to us through a people. So we get that in the New Testament as well. Now, we're going to hear this in Ephesians chapter 4. And we're jumping right into the middle of Ephesians here, so I want to give a little bit of structure for where we're at. Because this, this is marching orders. There's been some teaching going on. But at this point, Paul is going to turn to the people in Ephesus and say, okay, guys, he's going to play the role of coach, the role of general, and he's going to mobilize the troops. Okay, guys, it's time to move now. Just explain to you what's been happening. We backed up into Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3. You, you, you'd run in contact with Paul presenting God, right? You get into Ephesians chapter 1, there's a presentation of God going on here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. He scoots down in verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him. So Paul puts God on display. And then he begins to talk about how God has been restoring us, Jews and Gentiles, and breaking down dividing walls to bring us back to himself. And Paul begins to explain, this is the gospel, right? In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which has been, which is, was given me by the working of His power. All right, so we have, we have God, we have gospel, and then we get to chapter four, and it turns into go. All right, go, be the people, and He's going to bring unity and clarity. But it's very important, I think, to, to get a glimpse of the strategy that's involved here. So let's. Let's start reading Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Right? Everybody here this morning, I know we're all here searching for a calling. Right? Just don't overlook the corporate calling God has put in your life. Shopping for the individual calling. God does have an individual call, and that is important. And you should be trying to figure out what that is. But you should never be trying to figure out what your individual calling is separate from God's corporate calling. That defines who you are as a people. So he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. all right, let me just make a quick disclaimer here, because that sounds like one of those universalist ideas here. Right? And if you were in the school of the word this morning, you're not, you're not having a problem at all understanding what this means. And if you weren't, you just need to get the CD because I'm not going to tell you what was said. Um, one God and Father of all who's over all and through all and in all, that kind of has that, that brotherhood of man thing feel going on. This, this is the kind of thing that, that kind of can give birth to a slogan that can now get attached to everything from United Way to UNICEF 
to habitat for humanity. You know, it's like, you know, God's just overall and through all and in all, and these are just good things, and we just need to be caring for one another and reaching out for one another. All right, now, in the context of this passage, do you see more at work here? We just heard about God, the gospel, and the going of the people of God. Now, we can't all of a sudden make that about habitat for humanity. Can we? We can't make that about the beautification of the environment of the earth, you know, and God's just, he's overall and through all and in all, and we're all just kind of together in this, in this thing. Listen, if you're not together for the glory of God revealed in the gospel, then you're not together in this verse. That's the context of what's being said here. So it's very important that we don't just grab ideas out of the Bible and, you know, export everything else that this thing's attached to, uproot it, and then just make use of it. That God's just into good stuff, and we just need to be about good things, and there's a good cause, and you need to be good to people through good causes for the good God that's out there. And we grab verses like this. This verse is attached to the gospel and the glory of God being seen, and we can't uproot it that way. Now, this morning, I want to transfer some weight here onto where this text is now going to go in verse 7 when he begins to talk about the grace given to us. And this is going to be grace on display uniquely attached to some feet. There's about to be people here, leaders here. Grace is coming to the church. That grace is going to be attached to individuals, individuals that got big cool titles here in Ephesians chapter 4. But when you and I fast forward to 2012, the big cool titles have very common names like Jeff, Jason, Evan. Right? It's cool for us to read this stuff in the Bible because you think, wow, this is a cool idea. Man, there's some stuff going on here. God had these great ideas about giving these leadership gifts. Wow, wow, apostles and prophets. Pastors, and, and, and then you sort of stick names on those guys, and it's like, Jason. I'm, I mean, I, hey, I think Jason's cool. But, you know, he's just Jason. You know. And Evan, you know, Jason's got one up on Evan because Evan grew up here. You know, Evan's just, he's, he's Evan. You know, I knew Evan when he was Evan, you know. Some of you guys knew Keith when he was Keith, and it's, you've gotten past that, I hope. <laughs> So, you know, the mystery is this stuff becomes real at some point. It's kind of got a real address. It's got real people attached to this. But God now is here going to mobilize his people into this this call, this going call. Verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men, little parentheses here for two verses. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. All right, back to the thought now. Parentheses over. All right, so he gave gifts to men. He gave the apostles, verse 11, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity 
of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is, it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Right, this, this is God giving grace here to each one of us, each one of us. Grace has been given. But this is grace attached to a context, isn't it? Right, this, is, this is grace to go. This is mobilizing grace. This is grace to aid in us living in a manner worthy of the calling. This is, this is missional grace to go and accomplish something for the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel. That's what kind of grace this is. This isn't, this isn't a, a, a Visa gift card grace. right? You know the difference between somebody giving you a gift certificate to uh, Academy Sports. You know, gonna, hey, great. You know, what are your choices? Well, it's Academy Sports. That's your choices. You can't go to Walmart with that. You can't go. This isn't a, a gift of a Visa card, you know, that you can go any. I can go anywhere. This is like money anywhere. This is grace for anything I want to use it for. How cool is that? That's, you know, hey, God loves us, and he gets involved in our lives, you know, mess and all, and he just gives, he's just passing out grace. It's this grace card. Here, use this. It's free grace. And next thing you know, you and I are, are trying to figure out why the card doesn't work in all these weird locations. You know, so I want to use it over here. And they don't take it. And why don't we use it over here? And next thing you know, we're taking God to court because he gave us a grace card that doesn't seem to work everywhere we want to run it. Because, see, I, I want to run it in this relationship over here. And God won't make that thing work for me and then uh, I want to do that in this business thing over here. I want to do it with my finances over here. I just want to use this grace card all over the place. To each one of us, grace has been given, but it's grace on a mission. This is grace to go. God is giving grace. And, and, it, and it's grace at a particular location. God has dispensed grace, but he, he stuck it inside containers. He put it in apostles. He put it in prophets and evangelists. And he put it in pastors and teachers. So there's grace inside these containers. So if you avoid the containers, guess what you avoid? The grace. Right, you guys remember this, this time of year growing up? When you were little, you played during the summer. You played at playgrounds. And then School started, and if you were a football dude, you started practicing two days, three days in August. Heat was unbearable. Humidity was unbelievable. Back then, back then, coaches thought water was for wimps. Well, some of you guys are like, you know, you don't have any idea what I'm talking about right now because they finally figured out, and again, they're coaches. They maybe have a PE degree, but uh, they finally figured out water and heat and the human body, that's a good thing to go together. But back when I was in school, 
if you tried to, like, you know, wait till the coach wasn't looking to go over and get some water, I mean, he'd shut down water for everybody. That's it. Everybody's running. No water for anybody. And so I don't know how any of us survived. But, you know, when you were, when you were playing, you quickly remembered where the water fountain was, right? When I was a kid in school, I, you know, I knew where all the water fountains were everywhere. I mean, you could have just shown up at any playground property and just said, hey, Keith, can we have a map to the water fountains? It's like, yep, got one here, other side of the building. There's one right next to the bathroom inside the gym over here. I knew where all the water fountains were. Because when you just, you were beat up and you were overheated and you were dying, boy, you just needed grace coming out of that water fountain, right? You went and found that container. Well, this is this, is this kind of grace. It's grace at a location. To each one of us, grace has been given, but it was given in the form of a water fountain. And it's going to get stuck somewhere and it's going to have a name on it and a location that when you get around that water fountain, God dispenses some kind of grace into your life. Now, I'm not saying this is not the sole means of grace by any means. There's lots of ways in which God dispenses grace into our lives. But in this passage, grace is coming into our lives. To each one of us, grace has been given through apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So there's a strategy here where grace has two feet attached to it. If you want to taste that grace, you want to be refreshed by that grace, you're going to have to get around those two feet. That's just a reality. John Calvin said some pretty, uh, pretty sobering words about the role of leaders in the church. Referring to this passage, he said, By these words he shows that the ministry of men, which God employs in governing the church, is a principal bond which believers are kept together in one body, right? The, the context of these gifts is the unity of the work of God. We just had all those ones, like five ones are mentioned in the passage before. God's doing one thing, and he's given grace for that to get accomplished. He also intimates that the church cannot be kept safe unless supported by those guards to which the Lord has been pleased to commit its safety. Christ ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. The mode of filling is this, by the ministers to whom he has committed this office and given grace to discharge it. He dispenses and distributes his gifts to the church. Whoever, therefore, studies to abolish this order and kind of government of which we speak or disparages it as of minor importance, plots the devastation or rather the ruin and destruction of the church. For neither are the light and heat of the sun, nor meat and drink, so necessary to sustain and cherish the present life, as is the apostolical and pastoral office to preserve a church in the earth. That's some rather sobering statements from a guy who left a little bit of a mark on Christianity. And in a lot of ways, I can tell you as... As a pastor, there's a lot about that statement I really don't like. Because the sobriety is on both ends. And I, and I, want, I want the guys to have a fresh sense of this. It's sobering to think God has ordained for you to be a means of grace into people's lives. 
it's sobering to know that there's going to be people who are playground of life, winded, beat up, overheated, exhausted, and they're going to run to a fountain to get some form of grace in their life. And God has ordained you to be a means of grace in their life. It matters how you answer the call. It matters how you live your life as a man called by God into this place of ministry. And and then it matters how we receive that call. It matters for every one of us how we view what God has done in this passage. Not, Not some grab for authority, not some individual who decides of his own inclination to rise up amidst a group of people and say, hey, I'm grabbing for authority, I'm grabbing for some name or title or role of influence in the church. And sometimes when we, when we boil this thing down to a human level, that's, that's where we go with some of this. But we need to just see what God has established. God established water fountains in the midst of our lives. God established that. God didn't establish us with the ability to say, hey, as it, as it pertains to going, as it pertains to the call of going, I got, I got it. I got what I need. I'm good. I'm all over this thing. Me and the Holy Spirit. You and the Holy Spirit minus the Bible, apparently. Because according to God, he has a means for grace to come to each one of us. And so I want to highlight that what we're about to look at here is both soberly to be embraced by these men. These six feet have a responsibility in our lives. It's sobering. And then we have a responsibility to receive grace from these six feet coming into our lives. Right, here is, here's the purpose of these dispensers. Verse 12. Why has God given these gifts? Well, he's given them to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. I put this in your outline there. Equipping the saints in such a way that the normal Christian is doing the work of ministry that builds up the body. It's the role of the pastor. The role of these gifts is to equip the saints so that the saints, the the average church member, is doing ministry. So there's a little bit of a strangeness in some of our terminologies. These three men, these men would be called to the ministry. Sometimes our terminology is not helpful. I believe they're called into this grace-gifted position in the church, but everybody here is called to the ministry. Everyone is a minister of the gospel. And and listen, it wasn't enough that, you know, the Reformation caught this concept that there was this priesthood of the believer, you know, that priesthood thing, that unique thing that God did when he gave access to certain people to himself, a nation of priests. They have access to me, but that nation doesn't, that one doesn't, that one doesn't. And then the revelation, and in the Old Testament, there were these unique priests amongst the people of God. They had access. But then in the New Testament, we find out everybody is a priest to God. So everybody's got access to God. So we took that everything idea and spread it amongst all people and said, hey, listen, it's not as though the pastor's got more access to God than you do. The apostle Paul doesn't have more access to God than anybody else on the planet. Every believer has access to God. But if that's all you got, you've fallen short of where the Bible takes you. Because it didn't just give you access to God, because a priest had access to two. 
There is no such thing as a priest with only one-way access. The role of the priest was to access God and to access people. He was a mediator. He was a go-between. So if all he did was access God with his back to the people, he was not a priest. It wasn't until he took the grace from God and brought it to the people and pronounced blessing upon them, brought revelation to them, and took their need and went back to God with it and made intercession and brought sacrifice. Ultimately, what the mediator, what Christ would do on our behalf as the priest of all priests. So if you're a believer, yes, you have access to God, but you have a ministry to men. So you are called to the ministry. And with everybody called to the ministry, yet within that everyone calling, there are unique gifts that God has given. There are six feet in our midst that are going to uniquely lead us and help us to engage God's purpose and call as a church. John Stott, his commentary on Ephesians, he says, the word ministry here is here used not to describe the work of pastors, but rather the work of so-called laity. That is, of all God's people without exception. The New Testament concept of the pastor is not of a person who jealously guards all ministry in his own hand and successfully squashes all lay initiatives, but of one who helps and encourages their gifts. His teaching and training are directed to this end, to enable the people of God to be a servant people, ministering actively but humbly according to their gifts in a world of alienation and pain. That's the role of the pastor, to equip and stir up gifts and to launch people into ministry activities in this world. John Stott tells an interesting story about visiting a church, and he looked at the bulletin. He said this, on the front cover of the Sunday bulletin, I read the name of the rector, then the names of the associate rector and of the assistant to the rector. Next came the following line, ministers, colon, the entire congregation. You know, there, there's, you know, I'm so grateful this morning Sue Ellen came and shared with us what, what's happening through multiple members of this church in the setting of living alternatives, this, this ministry to young women in crisis in a moment in their life. And what's been mobilized is the church, our individuals who are serving in that ministry. I had a chance to bump into Paul Little. Is Paul here this morning? Somebody, hey, Paul. Good to have you back, buddy. Paul has been serving uh, in Guatemala for about the last six months. He, he would join other names of people who are part of the church, who have been receiving grace individually, but then seeking to minister that grace into other people's lives, going with the gospel to Guatemala, like, like Caleb Reynolds left and went to Guatemala to serve in another mission setting who, you know, he was in Phil's covenant group and he was part of this church and walking together with other believers, receiving grace that God was dispensing through Ephesians 4.11 gifts and then mobilized to go to Guatemala and serve in missions. That's exactly, that's how Dean and Denise Adamek ended up serving in Mexico through that means. And this is not just some some call for missions activity. I can remember men who have come with a burden for different things in their lives. I had a man come up 
probably a couple years ago, say, man, just can you, can you give me some thoughts about something I could use for a Bible study at my office? I just feel like I'm going to start a Bible study at my office. And a man come to me the other day, has a vision for, for ministry. He's a business owner. He's got a vision for people in his business, but particularly a vision for men, a vision to reach out to men in this generation where men receive such bad leadership and such bad ideas about what, it's, what it means to be called to be a man. Listen, when we're hearing that as pastors, I hope you don't have this impression that, that we're trying to be the, the, uh, the ministry police. That, hey, let's, let's, well, let's reel that in. Whoa, 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 settle down there. You want to do a Bible study at your office? Whoa, I don't know about that. Uh, let's not do that. Uh, let's see. Well, maybe one of us could come and, and teach that Bible study at your office now. Uh, hopefully that's not the impression that you get. I was thrilled. I was excited. The average Christian should be able to lead a Bible study. God awakening gifts and abilities in somebody can go much beyond that. You, you, you should feel a sense of ministry to others that builds up the body. You, you should feel that. You shouldn't just be coming to meetings led by others believing this is the only time that ministry takes place. Ministry takes place through your life on a daily basis in all the contexts and places that God has put you to use uniquely gifts that God has given to you to be used. And, and I hope what happens here in these services and in school of word and in covenant group settings and alpha and whatever other setting that we have an ability to bring folks together and bring influence is that there's a, a flame being fanned in your heart to launch out, to take the gospel, to go with a passion into people's lives. Now, let me just give this, this disclaimer, just to kind of invite you into the realities of, of what, what you will bump into. All right? You're going to bump into this. You're in the church, and you've got a passion to touch people's lives in a particular area. You've, God's awakened something in you. God, something's become real to you. Some truth, some aspect of the Christian life has just fireworks have gone off. You get that. And, and now you want to you share that with others. It's commendable. You should be that way. That's the way we're supposed to be wired. There's a going aspect to who we are. And you begin to, to get other people to listen and you maybe gather some people. Maybe you're meeting on a regular basis. Maybe just every once in a while you're, you're sharing some thoughts with others. All right, now you're you're going to bump into pastors at that point. And, and I hope it's not in an offensive way. I hope it's in, in what you see in these passages way. Because here in this passage and in other places in the New Testament, pastors are given responsibility for a flock to care for them and to lead them and to be a means of unifying them in the knowledge of God and in the cause of God. And so, obviously, there's a call to minister into this group. And then you become a minister as well into this group. And that's right and that's appropriate. But what happens when those ministries get at odds? What happens when you may begin to teach something to these folks that really wasn't biblically thought out very well? Typically, it's not heresy. It's just imbalanced. It's just an overemphasis on something that needs to be about this big in a person's life and not this big. You know, please, don't, please don't swallow the gospel in your thing. Well, this is my thing, though, man. This is my thing. You know, God's all over this thing in me. Yeah, I know, but see, God's been all over this thing from 
Genesis to Revelation. So we want to supplant that. So you bump into us sometimes because we're kind of saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Sounds like you've made primary things backseat things, and you've made backseat things primary things. And, and I know that sort of for some people kind of you feel like you got sideswiped. It's like, what? I had good intentions. I had material. I was running to people you said be ministers, and now you're correcting me. Uh, we're not meaning for it to sound awkward and awful. But you do recognize in the Bible, pastors are called into that function in the church. And so do expect as you step out in ministry, you're going to kind of bump into pastoral input in those. That's not an attempt to discourage you from ministering. As a matter of fact, if I see these verses correctly and I understand to each one of us grace is being given through these dispensers, then I probably want to run to the dispenser when I feel an urgency to minister to the people of God. Right? I mean, hey, let, let, me, let me embrace what God has given by way of a revelation in the, in the scriptures about elders and the role to oversee the church and to handle carefully, to unify us in these very things and mobilize us into the cause. I want to contribute to that. Well, well let's partner together and do that. So it shouldn't feel like, you know, like there's sirens behind you. You know, you broke your Bible out, had a conversation with somebody, Who is it? It's Peter. Get out of the car. <laughs> Put the Bible down. <laughs> Both hands on the hood. What on earth have you been teaching? Uh, it's not intended to feel that way. But do you, do you recognize, can I just at least get you to recognize, pastors have a responsibility to the flock to unify and mobilize us in the knowledge of God. And part of me wishes it wasn't so. It, it is sobering to feel the need for care in categories like that. But with that, mandate from God means we're, we're in this together. And so it is not a violation. It is not pastors trumping the card of the Holy Spirit in your life. We're not neglecting or denying the priesthood of the believer where everybody's got access to God and the Holy Spirit leads everybody in the truth, not just to people with little titles behind their names. Hey, we get that. But I also get this passage. And I also get 1 Peter 5. And I also get other places where there is a responsibility of oversight that's given. And when you begin to minister into the body, you're probably going to bump into some form of input in that. And I would hope you welcome that. Don't resist it as though something inappropriate is being done. These verses are highlighting there's grace to be given to each one of us in there through individuals that God has given to the church. All right, let me move quickly here. Where does this grace lead us? Will we equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith? and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. So can you, can you see right here where knowledge of the Son of God is coming from? This is not solely, I believe God, the Holy Spirit does lead you into the truth, whether anybody's ever involved in your life or not, the Holy Spirit does that. But in this passage, leading into the knowledge of God to mature manhood, attaining unity in the faith is dispensed through these gifts to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we are no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. 
All right, so you have two things happen here. When these gifts operate in people's lives, there is growth that takes place. We grow in the knowledge of God. We grow in maturing in life and seeing some things that God wants us to see. And we grow in unity, right? And that's been the, the leader's role throughout Scripture. Leaders clarify and unify. Leaders say, hey, everybody mobilize on that way. Let's go this way. That's what leaders do. I mean, it's, it's you know, there's, there's not a ball team out there that can just decide, okay, break the huddle. No play is called. Nobody's in charge. Everybody's got the same uniform on, but, but there's no unity because no one knows what on earth is happening. And who, who calls hut? I don't know. Is it your turn to call hut? I don't know. I'm, I get to call it. Who made you the hut guy? You know, so the tackle stands up and he calls hut and the ball shoots out this way. You know, you understand, that's not how anything gets accomplished. Leaders are given to unify and clarify. And God has established that that would be the case. And the effect of that would be growing in maturity and equipping and going deeper in the knowledge of God. And in this passage, which is what John Calvin was referring to, protection. That we're no longer children, vulnerable, tossed to and fro by ideas and trends and Johnny-come-lately approaches to stuff. And in an information age, that stuff is being served up to you every day, accessible over and over and over again. And so God has assigned that there needs to be protection for the church. Now listen, this is sobering. I want Jeff and Jason and Evan, I want want all of us as leaders to be sobered by the reality that the church is to be protected. There's to be a protection for the church. But I want to transfer that soberness to you. Do you recognize your need to be protected? Because we're all mature adults in here. Got a smattering of teenagers in here. But for most of us, we got some years behind us. We've done some life. We're successful in a bunch of categories. Got a degree in this. Can make my way through. Well, the Bible didn't say your degree would protect you. The Bible didn't say that your age would protect you. Once you get to be 30 or 40 or 50, you'd be protected. You're good. You're good to go. No, what would protect you from ways of doctrine and bad ideas that flow in and out of people's lives would be the grace dispensed, these little water fountains that God sticks in the midst of us. We need that. Paul so desperately told the Ephesian elders this in Acts. He says, as soon as I'm gone, savage wolves are coming in among you. And from from your own selves, people that are trusted in your midst are going to rise up and begin to say things that draw people away. Paul knew that. Listen, that was a church Paul built. Paul helped establish this church, and his church couldn't be kept from that, and neither will this one. Those things are going to happen in our midst. And God's means of grace in that moment is going to travel through six feet. It's an awkward thing for men to be given an assignment in the midst of others. It is an awkward thing. It's an awkward thing for you to receive leadership from men who have weaknesses and limitations. God has not created leadership 
that is so distinct from the people that they lead. God has made leadership like the people that they lead. Now, I think there's a good reason for that in a leader. But if you look through the list of leaders, you, you kind of can't find guys that God has assigned to lead, clearly called to lead, who didn't have some issues. Right? Moses, clearly God's, God's guy. God pulls him aside in the desert. He, he doesn't want to participate from the get-go. God overcomes that in him. He begins to lead the people, does an incredible job of leading the people, but also gets frustrated with leading the people, becomes angry leading the people, kind of deals with them harshly at one point in leading the people. So much so that God says, you're not leading them into the promised land. You stay on this side. They're going over without you. That was pretty severe. Not quite sure we know all that was in the attitude of Moses as he led people. King David. King David accomplished some incredible things, extending the borders and clarifying the mission and overcoming adversity and enemies. And then he was also a man who committed murder because he had committed adultery and needed to cover it up. While he was out advancing the kingdom, his, his home was disintegrating and his children rose up against him and against one another. And he was God's man leading these folks. The Apostle Peter, leader amongst leaders, the guy amongst the 12, the guy who everybody saw. He was the first one to speak. He was out there in his leadership, and, and he's the rock, right, that Jesus is talking to. He's going to deny that he even knows Jesus at some point. How inspiring is that for the rest of those following? Hey, did you guys hear Peter's bailed? Peter's out. And finally, the Lord, by his grace, restores him, only to have Peter, who, Peter, who's sent to the Gentiles, to open the world of the Gentiles to the gospel, only to have him later have to be corrected by the Apostle Paul because he's, he's afraid to be seen with the Gentiles when the Judaizers come from Jerusalem. He's got people, fear of man, Peter, oh, just a little. He's this great leader. You know, why, why does Timothy have to be told about timidity? Why does Timothy have to receive several kicks in the butt? If you read it, I mean, it's, it's nice. It's Apostle Paul, but he keeps trying to tell Timothy, Timothy, lean in, Timothy. Timothy, lean in. Look, I know you, you, know, you got some ailments. Take a little wine for your stomach. Quit, quit complaining. Quit whining. Uh, don't be so timid. Don't let anybody look. I know you're a young guy, but stop letting people look down on you. Make yourself an example to be. Come on, dude. Lead these people. I mean, that's kind of what Timothy was having to hear. Can you imagine a leader who just doesn't lead well? Can, are you prepared to be shocked by that? Or are you prepared to recognize any leader in the midst of you was just in the midst of you yesterday? Weaknesses, frailties, vulnerabilities. And yet God is turning right now and saying, okay, but receive from these men. Be prepared. Be prepared to receive from these men. Right, so there's, there's sobriety on these guys to, to step into a role of leadership and influence and responsibility. And for us as well, to receive that leadership. And when you read the rest of those verses, you have this picture of unity of us coming together. right? But it's a coming together when every joint does its part. What does it say, verse 15? Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, 
into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. That's an every man ministry. That's every one of us. Right? Here's what I want to finish with today. This, this is an appeal for God's global cause. God is going somewhere in this passage, and he's revealing the means through which unity and clarity comes into that going. And he's seeking to mobilize every individual. Grace is coming to everyone. Everybody plays a role. All hands on deck. Everybody partnering together, unified together, taking our cues from leadership that God has given that's going to come through normal people with normal names and rallying together around the cause of going for the glory of God to proclaim the gospel. Three legs and six feet. Let me give you a preview of what this looks like. Try to do this without. Curtis, can I embarrass you? Embarrass you, Curtis? I told you I was going to tell you a story. (laughs) Justin Laborde, member of the church, participating in the structures of the church, structures that get created by leaders giving something for us to come together around. So you get Justin and he's in Sunday service. He's participating in Covenant Group, part of Alpha. He's reaching out to people. Covenant Group is, is having a seafood boil. He's part of Donnie Bourgeois' Covenant Group. So they're inviting guys to come. Justin decides he's going he's gonna to invite Curtis. You look young, Curtis, but I've got to tell people how old you are, all right? 80-year-old man is going to be invited by Justin to come to a seafood boil. And so he comes, and next thing you know, and he's telling me this story the other night at Alpha. Next thing you know, he's in a three-hour conversation with Donnie Bourgeois. And they're going back and forth and back and forth. And then to hear this man turn around and say, and that night I got saved. And he kind of pointed at me like that when he said it. <laughs> kind of, you know, what, what is all that? What's each joint doing its part? It's each person being a ministry. Because that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen without a church that's put some structures in place, and we call them covenant groups, or without a guy like Donnie Bourgeois who was reached out to by another guy in the church years ago and came to hear the gospel and get saved, come into the church, grow and mature, become a leader himself in the church, become a minister to others in the setting of the body of Christ, equipping and caring for others in the same setting who begins to lead a covenant group who is led by the Spirit to create an opportunity for fellowship, another structure setting where people can come together in unity and minister to one another. And then Justin's a part of that, submitted into a place and a location and ministries taking place in his life. He's got faith in his heart to reach out to somebody that God's put in his life. And, and the body of Christ gets what? Built up by people being equipped and doing the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. That's what that looks like. And there's stories all over this room that look exactly like that. Now here's where I want to conclude. This is, this is an every man on deck calling. This is a season in the church where everybody, this is not just a season, ah, 
yeah, the three guys, they're going to be taking on some new responsibilities, some transitions, some new things are going on. And we sit back and we watch that from a distance. Grace has been given to each one of us. And we are mobilized and unified into this cause. And in just a moment, I want, I want to pray for, I want to pray for each of these guys. But what I want to pray for this morning, because we're going to pray for them in the next few weeks. You're going to hear from them, and we're going to pray for them differently then. But this morning, I want to pray for the partnership that's called upon between leaders and those who would be led. I want to pray for the partnership there. And I need to take a minute just to do this, although I want to get it into our prayer time. Leaders and those being led is, is a steel-on-steel environment. Leaders get affected by leading others. It's not always pretty. They don't always know what to do. There's, there's issues in a leader's heart. There's insecurities. There's ambitions. There's stuff that makes the steel of a leader stick out. And then if you're having to be led, there's some steel in you that, you know, kind of says, you're not the boss of me. Well, you know, who do you think you are? Well, you think you're something special. And so it's an invitation. God has created something that's an invitation for sparks to fly everywhere. But this passage started out in Ephesians chapter 4 with what I'm going to call divine lubricant. Before we got into these passages, here was the lubricant before the structure was given. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then immediately he dips everybody in lubricant with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So this is, this is the attitude, guys, this is the attitude, pastors, that you are dipped in. You are assigned and called and given by God this task, but, but you are to go about that in humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's a word to leaders. It's a word to those being led. It takes humility to be led as well. It takes humility to lead correctly and to lead with understanding and care and to be gentle with folk and be patient. It, it takes that to receive leadership. You have to be patient with leaders. You have to be gentle in disagreeing. I don't think that was done well. Okay. Hey, that, you know, you have, you have human leaders, human leaders. So there's going to be opportunity for adjustment and correction. That's to be done with a view to unity, that we're together on a mission. We're going somewhere together. So if, if there's some problems either for leaders to address in those following or those following addressed to leaders, we don't abandon the call. We're called to something. We're called to go. And so however we deal with one another, at the end of that dealing, we still need to be able to go together. And that's just not going to happen unless we're kind of dipped in some lubricants. That's a whole other message, but it's, a, it's an important thing for us to see. But let's, let's do this. This is an all hands on deck. The transition that we're going through. New ministries are being formed. Things that we've done before and need to, to learn to do them in a different way. Things that we've never done before and need to just figure out how God wants us to do them are taking place. 
And those things are called to be unified and clarified by leaders. And then they're called to be embraced by those who are being led by them. So I want to identify each of those three segments. We'll pray briefly for each one. And we're going to reserve time to pray for each of these men later on. But let me ask for Evan. Where are you at, Evan? You're already standing. Um, I want to get all of the youth that are here and their parents. If I get all you guys to stand up. I'll wait to let you hear the word the Lord has given to Evan to share with us. Burden in his heart, vision for youth ministry. To hear what uniquely are youth facing today. and What's the issues that the church is called to address and to care and to lead and protect and help them grow. But this is an all hands on deck call. This is not, uh, sure hope Evan does a good job. Go get him, Evan. This is an all hands on deck call. So for those here and those perhaps listening by CD, you got to hear the voice of God speaking something to you in terms of what's about to take place and what is God calling you do to be a part of that together, to be eager to maintain Unity, eager to maintain unity, right? Can I, do I have a quote up here about eagerness? thought I did. No? Apparently not. All right, well, we'll just skip it. Let's pray. Let's pray for these guys. Father, thank you for days ahead that you are building, you are seeking to accomplish names, Lord, of people that we probably don't even know yet that will stand together, unified in the cause of knowing Christ, maturing and growing and becoming ministers themselves. And Lord, every person standing here is a minister. So Father, we pray for this gathering, this partnership. God, we pray for you to bring together leadership and those who walk together in leadership. God, would you unify and clarify the call of what you're doing in our midst, in the youth ministry. Lord, may it be that for years to come, Lord, we are benefiting from revelation and from togetherness, insights that have come as young people and parents and Evan and other leaders have prayed together and sought you and received something from you that makes a difference. Lord, this is a group of people not only need to grow, but need to be protected. Lord, thank you for grace that protects us and for grace that sends us into your purpose. Lord, let it rest abundantly upon Evan and upon families and young people standing here this morning. Let your grace be effective in their lives so that we all might attain the unity for which you have called us and go 
with the gospel for the sake of your glory being seen. Amen. All right, let me ask, let me ask Jason. If you would stand up. Judith Ann, you can stand up too. Or finally, your wife shows up. That's good. All right, if you guys are 18 to 30-something-ish, we never did figure out how to stop the pivot from continuing on. Can you guys stand up here, singles, young couples? Did my quote come up? My quote came up. It's hardly possible to render exactly the urgency contained in the underlying Greek verb, eagerly, our eagerness together to preserve the unity. Not only haste and passion, but a full effort of the whole man is meant, involving his will, sentiment, reason, physical strength, and total attitude. The imperative mood of the participle found in the Greek text excludes, excludes passivity, quietism, a wait-and-see attitude. Yours is the initiative. Do it now. Mean it. You are to do it. I mean it. That's what that word means. All right, so here we want to regroup, launch, endeavor to see ministry at a vital, critical moment in young people's lives, moving into the the realms of investing in the rest of your lives, career-wise, in relationships, in marriages, in raising children, in creating patterns for how you're going to live the rest of your life, being established in this time. Being eager means getting rid of some wait-and-see attitude. Well, I mean, let me just wait and see what happens. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I met Jason once, and let me just see. Let me just see what happens there. Just going to wait and see. Listen, you, you can't wait and see and be eager all at the same time. Right? Those two attitudes don't go together. So this is an all-hands-on-deck moment. God's calling us to go, to mobilize, to be clear and unified in the cause of going. And you have a role to play in that. Every person standing has a role to play in that. So let's, let's pray for this partnership. God, God, thank you for what could happen in this age group. Lord, thank you for the lasting impact this could mean for generations, Lord, not just for some individuals that are here, but, Lord, it will make a difference in the way in which they approach marriage and in who they marry, how they walk out their marriage and what they do with children, how they pursue money, what course they set for careers, what they do with the church in their life, what role it plays, how they manage time, what values will be formed in their hearts. Lord, you have a desire to give grace to each one of these. You want to dispense grace into each of these lives. So, Father, we pray in days ahead Lord, you will dismiss the passivity, dismiss quietism, dismiss wait-and-see attitudes, and you will awaken in hearts eagerness, eagerness to see the gospel go, to see your glory proclaimed, and to come together in unity 
for that purpose. God, would you bring together these young people with Jason and the calling you've placed in his life to serve them, care for them, that we might see your kingdom come in this generation. Amen. All right, one last group that we'll be seeking to plant on the North Shore, praying through all the details of that and covet the church's prayers for that. But Jeff, if you and Kathy would stand up and you get to hear from Jeff, I believe next week he's up to share vision and direction that God has given in his heart for church planting to help lead us in that direction. But for all of you guys who are North Shoreites are, or you are anticipating being, because we're hearing from folks who are saying, hey, um, I'm, I'm moving over there. You're not over there yet, but you anticipate uh, perhaps God's calling you to be a part of the church plant. You guys stand up for our North Shoreians. Let's pray for these guys. Lord, thank you for what we trust in you will be taking place in months to come. Your leadership to establish a foundation of a people who reflect these passages into a living setting that you call a church. Lord, these these who have been given the franchise of the ministry of reconciliation and are opening a new branch of that franchise. Lord, taking your gospel into lives and neighborhoods and schools and businesses. Lord, we don't even know where all you'll go with this. Lord, we don't even know the names of people and the activities of life that you're going to touch and change. People that uniquely you've allowed these lives and this church to gather into your kingdom to minister to them, to bring them into the knowledge of Christ, to see them grow into the mature manhood that you've called them to experience, and then for them to be ministers so that your body will be built up and your name will be glorified. Lord, would you bring together these who are participating, Jeff who is seeking to lead, Lord, a means of grace and the receptivity of grace. Lord, may your May your ideas here clearly, Lord, what you have established in your word, Lord, we pray in agreement with you. Bring these things to pass, Lord. Give gifts and dispense grace and bring unity of cause. And, Lord, dip it all in humility and gentleness and forbearance, eagerness to preserve unity. So, Father, in days ahead, Lord, for these for these six feet, Lord, we want to open our lives to them. Lord, with all the strengths and all the weaknesses, all the uniqueness that they bring to the call that you've given them. Lord, in the weeks ahead, give us hearts to receive planting from each of these men as they share with us in this pulpit. From their lives, from what you've written into their lives, and from the vision and burden you have given them to help lead us into the days ahead. God, we look to you and we receive from these men. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you guys.
Y'all, uh, y'all be careful. Be careful this week. Please, again, check the website. If you've got friends coming to Alpha, check the website. By noon tomorrow, we'll have something up there about the future of Alpha this week.